0: Let's do it. Let's do it. Broadcasting from around the world. You're listening to The First 100, a podcast on how founders acquired their first 100 paying customers. Here's your host, Hadi Rodwan.
1: Good to have you on the show, Will. How are you doing today?
0: I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Yes, I just...
1: Uh... Was chatting with you earlier that I'm a big fan of protein bars, specifically clean protein bars. And you've happened to have one that is really tasty, which I was surprised because most of them have the synthetic taste from the excessive uh, sugars they use to mask for uh, many of the natural flavorings they do. That was really good for me and my wife because we both are uh, big health addict on that front. But before we dive into IQ Bar, I would like to introduce Will Nietzsche, which is the founder of IQ Bar. It's uh, essentially a plant protein bars, and you just introduced a couple more categories. One is a hydration stick and then one is an instant coffee, which is packed by functional compounds. What stands out to me is your brand. It's very bright, fun, youthful. And you've launched this five years ago, six years ago, 2017, raised 10 millions to date and you're very efficient. So Will, tell us why another protein bar and how you're different.
0: Yeah, I mean, for me, I've always been interested in really big competitive categories. A lot of people shy away from that. I'd much rather go into that than ever be caught trying to manufacture demand. So I want to go somewhere where there's a lot of demand. There's a lot of people ready to pay money for a good or service. And then I want to outcompete people in that space. So, you know, that's always the first thing anyone says to me oh, you're doing a, a nutrition bar, protein bar, whatever. It's so crowded. There's so many options. And that's always what I say back. It's like, yeah, there's so many options because there's so much demand. The other thing, too, is saturation of the market kind of waxes and wanes. It's not constant. So, are there so many options? Are there hundreds of options? In a frothy market where there's a ton of VC dollars flowing into anyone with any idea, yes. Then 2022 happens, 2023 happens, and the funding kind of dries up, and then it gets less and less and less and less competitive. So that's another thing I think people have to keep in mind is saturation is not fixed. It kind of comes and goes. But yeah, I mean... For me, I I had an idea. I wanted to make a brain food. That was the original idea because I was interested in the brain and I was interested in nutrition. And I wanted to start a company and be my own boss. And I wanted to make the thing that I was going to sell. I wanted to create the product. And so, not an engineer. I'm not a software. I'm not a programmer. Like, I'm not, it was never going to be tech. And I always like tangible things anyway. Uh, And then I got really into nutrition. So it was all just kind of a natural fit. And, uh, And so I said, okay, what's a big category that I can like mash a bunch of things that are rich in compounds, good for your brain. What's a category where I can mash a bunch of those things together and sell it to someone. There's not that many categories, right? It's like bars or cookies, maybe, but then you're, that's a whole baking process. So anyway, bars is just a really natural starting point. And I also didn't know that the idea would work. Like there was a 50-50 shot. We started with a Kickstarter. There's a 50-50 shot. It just flopped. And I don't know what we would have done, but um, it didn't. It went really well. And so then we said, okay, where's the smartest place to start selling protein bars? And we just kind of layered on a website. And then we layered on Amazon.com. And that was really how the brand got its first thousand two thousand three thousand four thousand five thousand customers is is online and we started getting real-time feedback about the products and started iterating on the products and that was what kicked everything off
1: amazing i mean you mentioned you're in a competitive space and i love the fact that you had the pain point you wanted something that's good for the brain and you validated the market through a kickstarter what has been the most challenging because when you put something out on a Kickstarter, the customer is waiting for the product. And essentially, when you create a product like this, how many iterations do you go through until you say, yes, this is the iteration that I think people would love. The taste is good. The functional part of the ingredients are quite balanced, let's say.
0: I mean, endless. Like you're never fully done is the truth. Because every year... You know, for example, let's say we use a pea protein powder in our bar and every year we evaluate all options. And let's say there's another pea protein powder that's 30 cents cheaper per kilo and it's better nutritionally. There's more protein per unit of weight or it incorporates better into the bar or whatever. We will evaluate then and say, hey, will this objectively improve the product? If yes, let's take a look at it swapping it in if no let's not and so it actually never fully ends that iterative process but just at a high level of like like how much protein do you want how much sugar how much net carbs do you want to use an emulsifier or not like blah 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 all that kind of stuff i think the first place you you start is look at the market and the market will tell you a lot so what bars are doing well why are they doing well what do consumers like about them and and look at all factors what are they priced at? What flavor profiles do the best? What protein count does the best? Blah, blah, blah. Eventually, at some point, you'll have to take some leap of faith because you need to be different. And by definition, being different means there's not really market data on that element of differentiation. So for us, it was always we want to be a low-carb, low-sugar, high-plant-protein bar because the way trends were going was sugar. Less sugar was was more and more people were adopting that lifestyle and then more and more people were consuming plant protein instead of animal protein so that was a no-brainer like low sugar high plant protein actually we didn't start with high plant protein we just started with brain food so we said we're going to optimize around xyz brain nutrients and be a low sugar bar no and the reason we were a low sugar bar was that's good for your brain so like a for example, a ketogenic diet is good for your brain to cycle onto and off of because you're not overloading your brain with glucose and flooding your body with insulin once you eat high carb or high sugar stuff. So it's all it all, all all works backwards from what is good for my brain. But anyway, we didn't start with high protein and then that was a good example of we listen we listen to customers. So let's say we sold three thousand orders, we would hear back from fifty people. And then 35 or 37 or 40 of those 50 people said yeah this is great it would be nice if it you know had 10 or 12 grams of protein and then you hear something enough and enough and enough and enough and you're like all right seems like it's like can this be an and not an or meaning could we incorporate let's say 12 grams of protein which is kind of a standardized mid-tier protein level An rx bar let's say has that could we incorporate that in and not bastardize the other value propositions, not degrade, you know, what's already there and why we're good and different and all that. And the answer in that case was, yes, like we can. So great. Let's revise the product. This is one of the benefits of e-commerce is you can't really do that in a store. Let's say you launch in a thousand stores. You can't just be like, hey, you know, Walmart, we're going to just put a different product in next week. That doesn't work. Whereas online, you can say, hey, we made some enhancements. Here's our new product. And that's why I always advocate people start online. You can iterate a lot quicker. You can test branding, test headlines, test call out hierarchy. Like anyway, we just sort of kept listening and there's taste elements too, right? So I want this to be sweeter or I want this less sweet or this is too dry. I want it moister. Um, So that's just like eating quality and flavor experience. But it's a lot of iteration at least it was for us. I think if you're Nestle or you're General Mills or you're Kell- Kellogg's I mean you go through so much rigorous R&D and like focus groups and all that that you're probably doing all of that leading up to the launch and then when you launch it has to be perfect because it's going to go into 30,000 doors and blah blah blah. That just isn't the case for a one person company you know starting online. I don't have the resources for that and also you don't lose much from iterating a lot and re-releasing products in the early 18 months, let's say.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. As every DTC operator knows, acquiring customers online has become harder and costlier. Prices of the ads going up, iOS privacy updates have made retargeting almost impossible. Please walk us through your early acquisition strategy. How did you acquire your first 100 customers beyond the Kickstarter campaign? Any non-scalable methods you deployed early on when you were maybe bootstrapped at the beginning?
0: So what we did was, we were never fully bootstrapped after, and honestly, I don't think the best move in consumer goods is to bootstrap. I think you can do kind of a hybrid, so that's what I would say we did. So we did the, the Kickstarter with no money, more or less, and then we generated, between Kickstarter and Indiegogo, $90,000 of sales. And then we turned around and we took that to angel investors. We said, hey, we did 90000 in sales in our first two months. We're, we think we're worth this much. Do you want to invest? And we raised half a million dollars. So not a huge amount of money, but not a tiny amount of money. Basically enough to where I could hire one more person, be a two-person team, and start investing in paid ads. Facebook ads, more or less, slash Instagram ads. And so we started that paid ads process like fairly early after we raised that money. And of course, that's like the holy grail. I mean, there were entire brands built on that. If you can get that flywheel going, if you can get your customer acquisition costs you know, lower than your lifetime value, you can scale to infinity. But through that, of course, that's incredibly hard. But so we, we started pretty early on there and probably got our hunt. I mean, we got our first hundred customers from just Kickstarter repurchasers and word of mouth. But how did we get our first like 5,000 customers? Definitely starting to turn on the paid ads engine got that going. And then a couple months after doing our website, we layered on an Amazon storefront. And we were a keto compliant product by then. And keto had just blown up in America. And so just having keto in the title and having good search engine optimization for our listing on Amazon. We just started getting organic customers just from people searching keto protein bar, plant based protein bar, like et cetera, et cetera. And just finding us organically. But of course we then later at a later point started layering on Amazon ad spend and, you know, bidding on keywords and then later even display advertising and, and all that. But it was all kind of a gradual growth process.
1: Any tactic that has worked really well with you to reduce your CAC to a certain level? Something that is interesting to share with us.
0: Mm, My wife who runs our online business would be better at answering that. Having a really good offer. I mean, there's like the same stuff anyone would tell you. Have a good advertisement. Have it not feel like an advertisement. UGC is great, et cetera, et cetera. But A really big one is just the offer itself. Have a really low risk proposition for a customer. So for example, we have IQ Mix is an eight stick hydration sampler. And there's four different flavors. So for $9.99, you can get eight servings and four different flavors. So it's like a ton of variety and a good amount of servings for only $9.99. That's a really low risk proposition for someone. Someone will, let's say they don't like it, whatever. It's less than 10 bucks. So just a really good kind of teaser sampler option. And then we have something called the seven bar sampler on the bar side, which is seven bars for $14.99. Still really low price. You get seven different flavors, like huge variety, try before you buy. And um, so we were just very conscious about a low price point b maximum variety such that the risk to the consumer is so low that you're going to get the lowest cac possible
1: that's an amazing trick because i just ordered the seven sampler because i don't know which one tastes better so now i will read out maybe two three and then i will reorder which i believe will increase your reorder rate with uh, with time, has have you seen any other tactics that improved your reorder rates other than the sampler one?
0: Yeah, well, getting them to subscribe, of course, is like best, right? Because they're more likely to get the subscription. Yeah, you know, there's always the risk that they subscribe just to get the discount and then, you know, cancel. But that's actually relatively rare. So subscription is best, and we default to subscription, and we sell things that are kind of conducive to subscription. Really good email marketing, of course, helps with reordering, email and SMS marketing. What else? We'll do sales. We'll do deals occasionally. Not too much. But yeah, I would say email is like probably the number one thing. And then we put out a decent amount of organic content too, to just have more touch points and remind people of us. And and then ads, right? We retarget people.
1: For someone listening who's starting a D2C, let's say e-commerce brand what's your advice on checkout abandonment rate where you put everything in the box but you leave it is there anything that you've made that has reduced this
0: it's a really good question not real i'm sure there are other brands that are more intense about this having like money back guarantee and social proof like x amount of reviews and all of that having that all at checkout such that you're are less and less likely to abandon. We haven't really invested heavily in that because I don't think we have a really high abandonment rate. But the other thing you got to remember for us, like D to C is only roughly 10% of our business. So Amazon's like four to five X bigger than D to C. And then brick and mortar is half of our business. So it's always a balance of how much investment you're going to make in any given thing but i think that's on the roadmap of like conversion rate optimization especially as it relates to checkout we're building a custom bundle builder is another thing how do you know it's the same thing everyone's trying to do how do you increase average order value minimize customer acquisition costs maximize lifetime value so the bundle builder is going to be a really really big one and it's going to be cart size based pricing so like if you order more than x amount of dollars in your cart you get Bump down 5%. And then for the Y amount, you'll a bumped down another tranche, et cetera, et cetera, on both subscription and, and one-time purchase. So it'll be super dynamic, and people can bundle any which way they want across three product lines, bars, mitt, hydration, and coffee.
1: Yeah, this one is amazing. I've been seeing that with a few of your competitors here in the UK where they bundle three or four, and then they discount you up to 30%. So if you're someone who actually is a recurring customer now the per unit value drops significantly for someone using the brand and then your average order value goes up drastically because now they're buying 50 60 70 dollars instead of 12 15 20 but definitely your margin is is lower again you're getting bigger share of their wallet so I love the bonding I I hope that that would bump you even even further You've mentioned that you're on the road to hit 30 million. Impressive. With a small team, for every dollar invested, you're making 3 to 4 dollars in revenues. What has been the most challenging part before you became so efficient?
0: People is always the hardest in my experience. Like there's always a right answer with things and there's not always a right answer with people. So just building, like there are different people challenges too as you're in different stages of business so like the first stage might be like i want to find a co-founder who's gonna be crazy like me and quit their job and do this well it turns out no one is because i couldn't find someone to do it with which in retrospect is a good thing but at the time was like you know unfortunate and then it's like okay i don't have that much money how do i hire someone for below market salary and why are they doing that why are they joining me if they could get a higher salary over here why why would they join me So it's just getting good people for candidly for a low rate. And then, you know, at some point now you can pay market rate salaries. And then it's like, well, how do I just find good people, period? A growth marketing manager. Maybe those are really like there's a time when, you know, pay like a growth ahead of growth, let's say, for D2C brand was super hard to find because it was so in demand, especially with COVID. Everything went online and it's like no one could find that person. So that's always for me been the toughest i mean there's a million tough things iterating the product manufacturing is unbelievably tough stuff goes wrong all the time but there's always an answer you know there's always like a path out on those i would say just you know make sure you get your personal life in order make sure you can devote It depends on how you're doing it. Maybe you raise a bunch of money and you can build a really big team early. That's not how I ever wanted to do it. It's not how I did do it. And so how I did do it is we were always under-resourced. We always had too few people. Still to this day, we're only a six-person team. So everyone does like three different things. And that sounds really stressful, and it is, but it allows you to be really, really, really efficient. But just to answer your question of what's been really hard, it's like that's hard. That's a hard lifestyle your job is your life more or less so that's still to this day is true
1: absolutely what has been interesting is that you've started as an online brand but then you moved into brick and mortar so what was your pitch or your strategy to convince people to give you shelf space because this is the hardest part and it's dominated by very big brands how has that shaped up for you over the years
0: Well, I think the first thing is, where do you think you're going to do well? So, you know, if you're a premium product and you're a natural product and you're going after a health conscious woman who's really into yoga and shops at Sweet Green, which is like a salad chain in the US and blah, blah, blah. Like, okay, Whole Foods is probably, you're probably going to do pretty well at Whole Foods. Just like understanding... Like working backwards from who is your target demographic and then where do they shop and then trying to get into those shops and then pitching those shops, right? Because they're going to say you're not going to have data. So they're going to say, okay, why should I carry you? But here's the beauty of getting big on e-commerce. You say, okay, here's why you should take us. It's true that we don't have a bunch of brick and mortar data to de-risk this for you. But look at all this e-commerce data. 10,000 people bought us in your region on Amazon last year. These are your customers. And so you can kind of de-risk it through a backdoor of we're big on e-commerce in your area. And that can work. And then also just being on trend, you can get credit for being on trend and maybe they have a mandate. They have to bring in a certain number of keto bars or plant-based protein bars or whatever. This is why being on trend and continuously evolving your branding to align with trends is really important because it just helps you so much in brick and mortar. You know, they have these review cycles and you... Send in materials and you pitch yourself, and if that year their mandate is we need to bring in thirty percent of our set needs to be plant based, and you're plant based, well, great, like you have a pretty good shot. So it's just how do you do every possible thing to inch up your odds that you're going to get taken in, and then once you get taken in, the, that's when the work really begins. You have to move product, and then which is challenging because no one knows who you are, right? So if no one knows who you are, why is anyone going to buy you? And for that. Packaging is so important. Being on trend is so important. Having a good product is so important because the few people that then buy you, you want half of them to come back and rebuy you. And then you start building a customer base. Like for example, like this is our box. It's hard to miss that box. There's things you can do to be loud and in your face and stand out on shelf. And then there's price point. You just have to hit a certain price. And if you're able to inch your price down, you open yourself up to more and more and more and more and more consumers, especially as you sell in places like Walmart or Costco or other places like that.
1: Amazing. What's next for IQ bar? Are we going to see a cereal? Are we going to see expansion globally more? What do you have in mind?
0: No, you won't see a cereal. I think we're tapped out at three categories. I really like three categories. What's nice about three categories is we have two powder products, hydration, IQ mix, and then coffee, IQ Joe. We make them at the same manufacturing facility. They're both powder, right? So you can just blend both of them the same way, fill it into stick packs the same way. There's a lot of synergy there. And then bars is separate. We have three product lines, but we're really only managing two different manufacturing processes. And the powders, they last two years. So you can produce just a massive amount and then store it and it's, good to go so powder is very low maintenance it's a great business model in my opinion and bars is much more complex and harder and and all that but i don't think we can handle more and i don't think we want to handle more we want our brand to be coherent and make sense like it has to be brain plus body nutrition that's relevant to snacks and coffee and hydration could you go into a bunch of other areas could you go into sleep sure you could but at some point you're degrading your focus too much And then it's like, who are you? You you know, you start being just like trying to be everything to everyone. And so I really like like satiate, hydrate, caffeinate. Like we hit three very distinct occasions throughout your day and value proposition. So where do we go from there? I think we just keep trying to grow. I mean, we're only penetrated into the U.S. market and brick and mortar like 17 or 18 percent or something like that. Like there's so much green pasture ahead of us. And online is like infinite. So there's just so much more room to run with what we have. I do love international. You bought the bars on health, H-E-A-L-F.com, which is our UK partner. And the UK is the first region we would expand and have expanded. I love the idea of international expansion. It's just, it's so complicated. VAT and customs and packaging regulation, and your head starts spinning very quickly. Even with like Canada or Mexico, which are right next door, it's like a nightmare. You have to have bilingual packaging for Canada. And, you know, there's the currency conversion rate and that changes. And so I think the priority is domestic growth. But I do love that ultimate goal of international expansion.
1: Amazing. Will. thank you for being part of the show. This was an amazing episode. How can people reach you?
0: Sure. So. You can just go to iqbar.com. I actually just bought that domain name. We were eatiqbar.com, but now we're iqbar.com. At eatiqbar, on any social media. My name is Will Nitze, N-I-T-Z-E, on LinkedIn. I put out daily kind of musings and thoughts on startups, entrepreneurship, CPG. So, yeah. I'm on Twitter, too. Less active there, but...
1: We'll put all of this in the show notes. Thank you for stopping by. Everyone, you should try this bar. It's really good, and it's nutritious to add to it. So thank you, Will, for bringing
0: Acrobar to me. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to The First 100. We hope it inspired you in your journey. If you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe to our podcast on Apple iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play or Spotify and share it with a friend starting their entrepreneurship journey. Leave us a five-star review. Your support will help spread our podcast to more viewers.